0: there welcome to the from lab to launch podcast by qualio where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences tune in and leave inspired to bring your life saving products to the world
1: hi everyone thank you for joining today's special episode it's a fun one that we do every year and we'll continue to do every year it's qualio's one percent for all life episode in this podcast, our goal is to share inspiring stories from the front lines of life sciences, including healthcare. And that phrase, front lines, is meaningful, especially in healthcare, since it means providing services directly where they are most needed, especially in remote and rural areas. And over the past year, we've heard stories from entrepreneurs, nurses, investors, and many others who are creating solutions to provide healthcare and improve healthcare access in unique ways. And we love hearing these stories and talking to these pioneers. On today's show, we're talking to Robert Fenton, CEO of Qualio, and Mark Ryle, president of St. Francis Foundation in San Francisco, who we're delighted to have back on the podcast. Both Robert and Mark can speak from firsthand experience about what it's like to bring healthcare access to vulnerable populations. Robert shares about why giving back is a crucial part of Qualio's definition of success and why it personally matters to him. And Mark shares an update on the St. Francis Foundation from last year's episode. He talks about the fatigue challenges workers are facing and also a beautiful and compassionate solution to bring healthcare access where it is needed most, even tent to tent. Ask anyone who's familiar with the Bay Area about the tenderloin and you'll get some interesting reactions like yuck or tragic and heart-wrenching. If you want to get serious about frontline work and healthcare, there's no better place to look. St. Francis, known for never turning away a person in need of health care, St. Francis Memorial has shown brightly as an example of strength and compassion through two world wars, two earthquakes, global pandemics, and the continued economic forces affecting healthcare delivery and costs. Their stories are inspiring and we hope motivating to you in some way to join us at Qualio and give back to our communities. Check out the show notes for links to specific places where you can go to donate and give back even in small ways. Everything helps and you can make a difference. All right, let's get started. Rob, here we are a year later and talking about the 1% for all life initiative. Hey, Grant. Yeah, it's it's amazing how fast this comes
0: around. It's It's been one year. It feels like one moment.
1: Yeah, it's true. We'll put the a link to the show notes of when we first started 1% for all life last year. That'll be in the show notes if anybody wants to go back and re-listen to that episode. But for those who haven't heard that episode or maybe don't know, tell us a little bit about your background, Rob, kind of leading up to Qualio, and then we'll get into this initiative and why it's part of the company culture after that. Sure, Grant. Uh, Good question. So the brief version
0: of my background is that you can probably tell um, I'm from Ireland, grew up uh, there, (laughs) always fascinated by science and technology, and the the intersection between both these fields was always something that I found fascinating. Followed that to studying pharmacy, which ended up with me working in some of the world's biggest pharmaceutical companies, where I saw that this idea of quality or this promise of quality was a co-equal promise to the Hippocratic Oath the doctor takes before practicing medicine. So where a, a doctor might say, at first do you no know harm, these pharmaceutical companies, medical devices companies make a co-equal promise around the products and services they build are safe, they're effective, and they work consistently. And what was really surprising was watching these huge companies with enormous budgets and they really struggled with that and it wasn't that they didn't get there it was that it was pretty apparent that the industry viewed this idea of product quality as an opposing force to business velocity and every decision was always a trade-off between one and the other and this whole idea of these being opposing forces never really sat well with me and that insight was coupled with the start of this transformation we're seeing in life sciences right now this once in a generation shift where we're seeing an entirely new type of company being born with a new type of needs, right? We have, we still have all of the companies building um, traditional drugs, pharmaceutical products, you know, um, physical devices, but we're also seeing these companies doing things like computational biology, you know, machine learning algorithms and medical and image data and everything in between. And that seemed like an incredible opportunity for us. So that was really the the starting founding insight for Qualio, uh, build a first product and you know, a few, la- a few years later, we're, we're now in a position where we are the, the trusted quality platform for this industry, and we're proud to be able to support this company's launching and scaling life-saving products and no longer having to make that sacrifice between product quality and business velocity. So that's a bit of where we've come from and, and where we are today. It's been a fun ride.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely and it's fun to be a, a part of the growth and see what's happening. You've mentioned this in company meetings before that there's a difference and you kind of alluded to it a little bit here that there's a difference between a company's financial success and their financial growth and perhaps alternative definitions of success and how if you're only basing your company's success on financial outcomes that can seem hollow. I think is the word that you, you you've used in the past. So yeah. How do you define success as a company? You know, for other entrepreneurs listening, and even as you know, as you're leading Qualio, mm-hmm. what is success? T- I think success
0: has several different measures that, that are important, and yes, of course, the financial one is important. It costs a lot to build a business; there needs to be financial outcomes as well. But I think the problem some people run into is they think that's the only dimension that matters. I think success is really relates to the impact that you create in. Uh, Is it either with your teammates and their careers, with your customers and their success in helping an industry transform and become more effective and break through to new levels of productivity? And for some companies, it also means impacting the world at large. And I think that is where I think the most interesting companies live, because that is making impact at, at, at a size and scale where it can really shape the world and, and how and all of our lives in really positive and impactful ways and I know that at Qualia we're fortunate to have found ourselves in a position where we can also make an impact here so when we think about impact it's yes it's with the customers yes it's with, with our shareholders stakeholders and employees and it's also the world at large and mm-hmm. I think that puts us in a position where we have the opportunity and with that, I, th- I believe comes the responsibility. I like that.
1: Yeah. It's a responsibility, a corporate responsibility when you have that kind of opportunity in front of you as a organization. And, and this that is also just
0: say, I think an emerging trend as well for, for companies who want to become leaders, I, I believe it's becoming the table stakes to be credible as a leader right now is you need to look at, do well, what are we really doing and
1: what is the, how are we giving back or what are we doing to do something better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that leads us to the topic of today's podcast, which is the 1% Give Back Initiative. For those who haven't heard of this before, tell us a little bit about what that means. I know there's other other companies that are being involved in the same type of initiative. So tell us why, why is that important to you and Qualio? And overall, what's the program for the 1% Give Back?
0: So at the highest level, it's a way for us to widen the scope of our impact. And it's really part of, I alluded to our corporate responsibility to do good where you can when it's aligned with your mission and, and, and how your business operates. The, the inspiration from this came from some conversations we had last year, mid last year, when we were talking about the what is the impact we're having. And we had a conversation where we, we came to the conclusion that increasing the quantity and quality of treatment offerings out there does little to positively impact the people who can't actually get access to the healthcare system, the people who are not able to participate in healthcare the way it's defined in, in most of the world, in the United States, in Europe, everywhere. <clears throat> and we believe that's, well, is that does that really ring true to our mission, right, and our values? And we said, no, it doesn't. So how can we impact that? And we felt that one really tangible way to do that is to take a proportion of our revenue each year and funnel that directly to causes that help what we call vulnerable populations better access healthcare and treatments and we felt that is an important way to set a stance or make a statement and and live by that in a measurable way so every single time we invoice a customer every single time somebody joins qualio That directly impacts our ability to be able to help provide better treatments for people who otherwise might not get there. So that felt like a very tightly mission-aligned, values-aligned way to do it. And I know a lot of companies, well, not a lot, many companies have found ways to incorporate similar ideas. And and we felt that the straight 1% of revenue was the purest way to do that. Easy Hmm. to measure and very transparent internally also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So... With that initiative in mind, let's talk about the uh, organizations that you chose to donate to, right? So 1% yeah. is going to grow every single year. And so we'll do this episode again next year, same time, we yeah. will. you know, and yeah, and it, it'll be fun as the, as our opportunity to give an impact increases, right? As quality continues yeah. to be across all spectrums of successful. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the organizations that you chose um, for this year's initiative. Tell us a little bit about them and why you chose those. Yeah.
0: So this year we've chosen two organizations to partner with. And the way that we've looked at, at this grant and we've spoken about this is it's better to start small and, and build from there. And we, we looked at this in both like a hyper local and like international view and hitting it from both ends as the, the perfect way to start learning how to do this well. And we were very fortunate to find an incredible partner in the, the St. Francis Foundation and Mark Royal, who we'll chat to very soon, who are doing really incredible work where I live here in San Francisco. I won't talk much more about that because we'll get there very soon, but it's an incredible foundation doing lots of really incredible work. And it means a lot to be able to support in that level here. And then internationally, we're working with the part of the Gates Foundation as well. And we can talk a little bit more about that soon as well. But the idea there is is to expand our reach, knowing that as every year, the amount that we, we donate becomes much, much larger, where it helps us, I think, find a perfect launch pad to start really building out a program that makes an impact and makes sense. And while we're early with this, it also, I think, creates the foundation to start getting our, our global teammates you know, more involved and really start building ways to measure the impact and the ROI and the benefits that we're directly creating. Mm -hmm. because with all these things, it's really important that we understand the impact we're making and we can use that as we grow this program over time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of that, just for a second, what are some of the, maybe there's not measurable things this, this soon in the game, but are there other benefits or initial results that you Mm -hmm. might've seen from rolling this out either across, you know, internally in the company or outside any other kind of benefits you've Mm -hmm. seen that might encourage other entrepreneurs or leaders of other companies to get involved in the same type of initiative?
0: Sure. The external benefits right now are hard to disc- discreetly measure because it, the size of the, the impact we're creating is part of the mix that the, the foundations we support have. So we're not yet at the point where we're able to discreetly measure the return. Over the next year, it's something we're going to be looking at more closely. And I'm excited to start pulling a form of impact report on that. I can say that internally, it's been incredibly powerful. And it's it's something that Funnily enough, when we were working on this, I was nervous to say, to learn, well, how will people respond to this? Is this something that people believe in internally? I hope it is. And uh, just blown away by, by the response from everybody internally. It's because it's something we learned is that you, the broader team and the company always look to you and, and look to the company to see, well, this is what this data mission is do. They really care. And I think your values are what you do, not what you say they are. And your principles are are similar so i think it was incredibly powerfully internally as an alignment tool and a focus tool and has really helped the entire company rally around why we're here and why our success matters so um, that part has been really easy to measure internally and uh, over the next year we hope
1: to connect it both with external ROI and internally too Mm -hmm. yeah that's great so anybody who's listening that's thinking about getting this uh, or starting some kind of initiative in their company, it's it's definitely something you should consider because, like you said, values are seen more than they're just heard. Appreciate that.
0: And I just would add to that. Yeah. the the, two, the true there there were two kind of pitfalls that that we came across as we were designing this, and we've seen other people stumble on is that it's where you can find something that resonates with your core why a business because that way it's a straight line and it, it it's congruent with everything you do. And also always trying to find ways to be transparently accountable about how you're measuring your impact and, and how you help. Because if it's fungible, that can also be a, a trust issue. So it's really important to find something that you can anchor on that people can inspect
1: mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it scales better that way.
1: Yeah. Good advice. Awesome. Anything else you want to add uh, to this as overall context before we bring a uh, Mark from St. Francis foundation inside? I'll, I will only say that I can't wait for next year's to
0: see where, where we are then.
1: Yeah, this will be fun to look back on these. Yeah, several years in the future, we'll look back on the very first episode and think, "Wow, it started with just this, just mm. you know, this micro donation in comparison with what we're able to do as the years go on." That'll it, be fun to look back in the rearview mirror and see that.
0: Yeah, I can't wait.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, Rob, for everything you do. And uh, with that, let's uh, switch it over. Thank you, Grant, Mark. Good morning.
0: And good morning, Rob. Awesome to see you. Looks like you're you're not working from home today, so that's a nice change. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. I'm trying to let the, the season kind of roll over me and remember what's important right now. And sometimes when we get mired in the day to day, that's difficult, but it's working out all right. Uh, I, I know that feeling now for, you know, we've had a
0: chance to get to know each other a little over, over time. But for, yeah. for people who don't know you, and this is the first time hearing about you and, and the foundation, maybe tell us a bit about you know, the foundation's history. And, and then I'll ask how you got involved.
2: Sure. Let me start, though, by by thanking you. A little bit over a year ago, we first met and you unflinchingly gave not only from your wallet, but from your heart to the work we do. And that doesn't happen all the time. I'll say thank you a few more times before we're done, but I'm going to start off with that. It means a lot. The St. Francis Foundation has been around since the late 40s. We started as an independent foundation trying to make a difference in the community, and. Back then, I'd say so the, those really honest and important intentions were driven more around output and some societal aspect of giving by Knob Hill Foundation looking to make a difference in the neighborhood um, that has changed significantly in the last 75 years. And now we are, we remain an independent healthcare foundation investing in the Tenderloin. And we invest in things that work for a lot. And this is probably my Second decade working in the Tenderloin, and I'm not seeing it improve. And our commitment to the Tenderloin is to fund what works and to fund where we can measure impact and where we can measure the improvement. That doesn't always happen with nonprofits. Sometimes you have to go out on a limb and hope they've got it right. But oftentimes there's evidence that you can show that demonstrates the, the value of that investment. You know, you, I know you think about that not only for your own company, but for the work you've been doing. One of your success measures was how do you measure impact? And that's what we look to do here so that we go back to our donors as investors and we show the value of what you've given us. And I think, I, I believe that the St. Francis Foundation is uniquely positioned as one of the larger healthcare foundations in the city to make a difference in a very small geographic community with very significant problems. And I can talk a little bit about that as more as we get into our conversation today. Thanks, Mark. Yeah.
0: Lots of questions about that. Uh, maybe I think your story is fascinating. Maybe share the the Notes version of, of your history and, and how you found the foundation and decided this is what you wanted to do.
2: All right. Well, you already know that I'm not great at Cliff Notes, but I'm going to try and Grant can edit me out. So I, I was born in a very small town in West Texas, youngest of six. And I spent most of my life until adulthood afraid of lights going off or the gas getting turned off or not having enough food at the end of the week my parents worked their butts off and still there just wasn't enough so scarcity and need is something i'm very familiar with i had to get out of that so I, i went to grad school and worked for the darkest of the dark investment banks for a very long time and have spent the last 15 years trying to earn my my way back into heaven my mom would say and um doing that by doing work in the nonprofit field. I started that work uh, after an MSW from Chicago doing clinical work with kids in the Tenderloin Mm -hmm. and kids who couldn't be home because it wasn't safe to be home. I went from there to Project Open Hand, which is a very large food agency in town uh, doing work for people who are very sick. And then three years ago, you're here, work outside our door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think every year I have an ambulance go by just for you, Rob. And, and then moving into the St. Francis Foundation three years ago to lead this organization, mostly to bring the focus back to discrete grant making that shows an impact. And, mm-hmm. and that's what our mission sits today.
0: So you alluded to something earlier about the St. Francis Foundation being you know a relatively large foundation compared to lots of the groups trying to do work. And you're also hyper targeting that in an area of great need I think that model is a really good one based on all the reading I've done but maybe talk a little bit about the what's the kind of impact you're making today and and how do you think about the programs you're running today
2: yeah, I the way I best uh, know best how to do this is to be very specific because it's hard to talk in vagaries and generalities yeah. and have people care. We're now two years into the pandemic, almost one year into the vaccinated structure, and what we have seen most in our, our petri dish, or our lab, if you will, is the St. Francis Memorial Hospital. It's a small nonprofit hospital in the middle of the Tenderloin. It's the only hospital in the Tenderloin. It has the busiest emergency department in the city. It sees. All the folks that you drive by or walk by on Hyde Street or Ellis or Eddie or any of the streets where we see a society in disrepair, those patients are being t- taken care of St. Francis. So we use that hospital as our measure of what's going on and where the need is. What we've seen surprisingly in the last year is a better than 50% uptick in emergency department admissions for what are understood as transition aged youth, youth, 17 to 24 years old. Most of the times, and I know those kids. I've worked with those kids for a long time. Most of the times when you pass by those kids, you have a lot of thoughts. Some people think, why aren't you working? Why aren't you housed? What are you doing? Some folks have um, more compassion than that, but mostly we think about resilience because youth can get through most things and come out the other end. But what we're seeing actually is that 50% uptick in the ED is driven mostly by suicidal ideation among that population. That's dramatically different than we've seen the last 10 years and directly a result of the isolation of the, what do we do about that? We there, there are some forces working against that population. The substance use population is strong in San Francisco and the, the money behind it is stronger. So how do we make a difference in such an enormous situation? And the way we've done it is twofold. We have taken to extending the stay in our closed mental health unit at the hospital mm-hmm. so that those kids can have more time to come down from where they were from whatever, whether it's a new version of meth or other substance to settle into an appreciation of what they wanna do next. Because the way the county reimburses that, you have to be out in a week. A week's not enough time, just isn't. That just pushes you right back onto the street. So now we extend that until they're ready to go. And that's not a cheap endeavor, but we find it a very stabilizing factor for that population. And then the second thing we do is we have a peer counselor that we brought in from a community-based organization that, is, that looks in, that sounds like them, that likes like them, that has walked there in their shoes, that physically escorts them out of the hospital on their day of discharge and engages them in community service support stabilization. The result of those two efforts has been a 50% increase in stabilized housing among that population, and a 30% reduction in the emergency department usage among that population. Those are real numbers. That's how you, that's how your money, my donation, we all see a return on a very important population.
0: That's really awesome, Mark. Thanks for sharing the those impacts. It means a lot to hear that. I'm curious. Yeah, you know, this has been well the second year of exceptional circumstances we, we've had. The last time we spoke, we were maybe six months into this and thinking, yeah, it's maybe yeah. about to change, but it looks like it hasn't changed a whole lot, or at least as much as everybody in the world was hoping. Maybe can you share some of any unexpected roadblocks and lessons learned over the past year? And I'm curious to see how we can apply those learnings forward.
2: Yeah, I because we see it every day so close, and because we're part of, of a medical community, sometimes I... <laughs> For the early part of the pandemic, I was everyone's go-to because I had information that others don't. Mm. And I thought that was pretty cool for a little while. And now I wish they'd stop talking to me because sometimes I just don't want to know everything that's going on. But the roadblocks we have seen is just that sort of fatigue, not a fatigue, around something that we all thought would be gone in two weeks and then we thought would be gone in June. And what we're seeing is folks are just starting to exhaust that is that's not only our healthcare professionals but that's the clients that's the individuals who are are having to get up every day and face the reality that we're going to be in this for a little while and that there is no magic cure so motivating that out of that fatigue is tricky we haven't figured it out yet rob Um, we are what we're doing is every day we're bringing realistic hope cautious optimism to the situation we still never say no we still refuse no one at that emergency department still the only hospital in the city to never turn anyone away and we are trying our very best to keep the healthcare professionals as healthy as they can be because they are the they have been at it 24/7 for uh, two years now, but I think fatigue is our biggest obstacle. And We battle that with hope, optimism, and data. We show folks how what we're doing is working, and that gives you a little confidence.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure it does. I think that fatigue problem seems like it's the same problem everybody has, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, if you solve that, please let me know. If you know if uh, <laughs> it's like a universal and, problem. And Rob, part yeah.
2: of it. And, and and part of the the challenge there is not only in the the patients or the clients or the the healthcare workers, but also in the donation community in the fundraising community. I, for a very long time, and I've worked in this while, this area for a while. You gave money and because you saw output, because you saw that if I give you hundred dollars, you're gonna you're gonna see five patients or you're gonna encounter ten substance use programs. But it's really. It, what really matters to me as an investor and also as the manager of this foundation is the so what of all that. The number of times you see a client doesn't matter unless that client is changing their behavior or improving their situation. Mm. So part of our, our fatigue comes in donors understanding that we can produce measured outcomes. We can produce out, impact in a, in a really quantifiable way, just like you do when you're looking at your 401k or your stock options and you're seeing those numbers change we want to show you those numbers in the individuals that we work with so that you're excited about the future. We are. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that's a nice, nice gesture. And I believe you share these reports. Is it once a year? You share these yep, out? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. When is the next one due? Uh,
2: next week. Next so week. Well, uh, it's good reading. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited
0: to receive it. I'll be reading it over the holidays then. You, you mentioned the donor fatigue being one of the areas and you helped share some of the, the stats. I'm more curious about the the broader mission. And like, are you seeing a change in the the, the the patterns of getting donations? Are you seeing like an increase or decrease? How has yeah. that fatigue impacted your your funding? Yeah, we
2: we are very lucky because we've been at this for a while, so we are a very stable, pretty well funded foundation. And what we're and because of that. What we're trying to do is to show the leverage of donations. So for when Qualio generously donates to the St. Francis Foundation, we use our endowment to match that donation to double or even triple the investment that's made by donors. And we're finding that as a really valuable way to incentivize others to engage, making that a multiplier effect Mm -hmm. of an individual's or a corporation's donation. And to push it a little bit further We've started to challenge other corporations to match that match. Oh, so those numbers start to make a difference. And where mm-hmm. someone who gives us $5 can turn it into 15 in a heartbeat is an important distinction in what yeah. we're doing. We're, we're leveraging and we're multiplying. And we believe that's starting to improve a donor's perspective on what they can do individually. Mm-hmm.
0: And on that individual contribution piece, I'm curious, you're pretty well funded, you're pretty large organization, if people are looking to get involved and and help you folks or or people like you, what's the how do people do that? Besides just going to your website?
2: Okay, I'm gonna I've got this down because I've been at this for a while. I volunteer every week I have for forever, it feels and the way I stay motivated is I find I found something that means something to me. It's with a food organization because I remember very well being hungry. And it makes a personal difference in my heart when I finish every day. And that's better than the five miles that I run on good days or the couple of beers I have or maybe three on uh, good days. The feeling I leave after volunteering is important because it matters to my heart. So my first recommendation is to find something that matters to you. Don't do it because it's an hour a week. Do it because it means something to you. And then it'll be more than an hour a week before you know it. And then the second piece of advice to uh, folks wanting to get involved is to raise your expectations. Don't assume a nonprofit can't meet those expectations or do even better and find the ones that do and reward them with your time. And if you feel like they deserve your money, start out small, give them five bucks a week, drop the latte and give them a five bucks and make that small donation because over time, you'll start to feel like you're ready to go larger, but don't just start big. Every little bit matters to folks. So find where your heart sings, and start out small, until you grow into
0: it. that's really helpful, Mark. It reminds me of the earlier part of this when I was speaking with Grant about the corporate focus. I think if if you do something that actually resonates with you, you'll stick with it longer, and I think you'll do a far better job. Yeah, I think yeah. that's. I think people forget that quite a lot.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I think Rob that. There, is a, there are two organizations in the Tenderloin that I am, I'm, I can't say that I can't be favorites, but I have two favorites. One is Project Open Hand because I worked there forever. And you can go as a volunteer and you can deliver meals to an individual and you can see their face light up. You can chop vegetables if you don't want to be engaged with the public. And you can know that the work you're doing makes a meal for someone who otherwise would be hungry and sick. That's tangible work. And, and you're tired when you're done and you're tired in a really good way. Uh-huh. And then there's the community health center, which does street medicine and edit out what you don't want to hear. But the Department of Health Care Services in California has just as of Friday begun to support street medicine in a reimbursable way. So that means if you're living in a tent and your wits are about you or not, uh, a person, we have people who are nurse practitioners who carry backpacks through the tenderloin who go into those tents and... So in the privacy of your home, you don't have to go into a van. You don't have to leave all your belongings behind. A person will come into your home, meet you where you are in that traditional social work model, and provide you with lab tests, with all the things you can need, Mm -hmm. vaccinations, everything you could get from a doctor's visit. The agency gets reimbursed because California is progressive that way, Mm -hmm. and the individual gets help on a presumptive model that assumes they need the care rather than making them jump through a bunch of hoops. The community health center is a miracle that way. They have folks on the street every day, is that doctors new? in tents.
0: Is that a new program or a
2: new way of doing yeah. things? It's, it's about six months old. They started wow. with a pandemic for that for obvious reasons, but it's working for everyone. And it, 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 you should just see them. They they're <laughs> they carry these heavy backpacks full of a lot of stuff. And they are at it all day long, knocking on the tent doors, you know, hoping they can come in, but respecting this the privacy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, tangible work. Yeah, I think it's, it's important
0: for people who really need it tend to be the people who don't seek it up because yeah. they, they tend not to believe it's it, they can often yeah. weird circular thinking. Yes,
2: I agree with yeah, you. Happens, and yeah. if you have to, you know, think about it, if I, if to go and see a doctor, I had to leave my front door unlocked at my apartment. I wouldn't do that. Well, and that's what we're asking to, the homeless to
0: do. We can just open up an app on our phone and we can talk to it. Yeah, editor, right? yeah. So, yeah, so so we're already doing that, right? And we, f- we forget how much that helps us even do yeah. you know, just be more comfortable. Yeah. Well, Mark, um, anything else you, you want to share? Finish up. What I promised
2: earlier is I'm going to thank you again. I thank you for this format. I thank you for your... that you were raised right, my mom and dad would say, because you, you are leading this work. And on behalf of the Tudor in San Francisco, I'm grateful. Well, Mark, uh, it's been a real
0: pleasure supporting you folks, and I'm ha- happy to continue to do so. I appreciate all the great work you're doing. Please keep it up. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.